Hi everyone. Uh, just a quick note before we get started. So this episode, I didn't quite realize how many interviews I had collected from Gen Con, and the episode got really, really big. So I've had to split up this episode into two parts. So please keep that in mind. Please enjoy part one, and part two will be coming just in a couple of days. Thanks. This is Dirk Manning, the writer and creator of Nightmare World, Tales of Mystery, and Love Stories About Death, as well as that writer on column over at Newsarama.com. And you are very fortunate right now because you are listening to Genretainment. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Genretainment at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. Genretainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. Now for this special 101st episode, yes, 101, we have a number of interviews from Gen Con the longest-running gaming convention in the world, which did have a record in attendance with 61,423 individual attendees. That's like counting the jelly beans in the big jar. I know, right? And I was one of those this year. Were you number 61,423? Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. And I just got back from Gen Con. And even though its focus is on gaming, there is much more than just that. So with the interviews, I start off with the Gen Con Film Festival, then interview over a dozen authors over an author's alley, and then wrap up the interviews back at the film festival. Now we'll have links to the different authors and filmmakers in the show notes, so be sure to check them out if you hear a book or film you think you would like to read or watch. I also want to mention a few news bits from the festival this year. One is a new Dungeons & Dragons feature film from Warner Brothers set in the Forgotten Realms world. Ooh. Ooh. Hopefully yeah. this one will be better. Some of the other ones have been a little, a little iffy. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I haven't, haven't. Oh, you've seen them. Oh, yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, bless their hearts. I hope it's better. Mm-hmm. Now, also at the Titans Grave panel, Will Wheaton announced that season two is in the works. I really uh, enjoyed season one. Mm-hmm. Look forward to more. It's, it's kind of a series where they're role playing this game called Titans Grave. And, um,. The people who are doing it are, are a lot of fun. Will Wheaton's a good game master. I like him. And uh, the rules is, are simple enough that you don't get confused. And hmm. they add in music and effects and stuff that makes it really enjoyable to watch. Yeah. So Also, Paizo announced an upcoming Lovecraftian adventure path called Strange Eons. Now, you know I enjoy Lovecraftian-type mm-hmm. stories. Very and... uplifting works they are yes <laughs> well creepy at least and and the pathfinder rpg is always fun so it should be fun to see these this uh, adventure path combined too mm-hmm. and i chatted with a game company working on a reboot of the classic torg role-playing game which torg. will be called yes which will be called torg eternity torg has been around since the early 90s so it'll be really interesting to see this new reboot very curious to see how it turns yeah. out anyway there's some fun news that happened plus there were lots of cool indie films, cosplay outfits, and gaming fun. Let's get to those interviews, which I should, of course, mention that since they're at the convention, there is a lot of background noise at times, which I hope you can bear with us on. You couldn't get everyone at the convention to be quiet no, so they you wouldn't could conduct be quiet. an interview? I was like, quiet, everyone. How rude. We're quiet filming. on the set. And, no, it didn't work. work. No. Okay. Now, before we get started with the interviews, we should point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show 
was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand. It was a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. And you can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now let's get started with the Gen Con interviews. Hey guys, this is Marks up here in Indianapolis at Gen Con Film Festival portion. I'm here with uh, the, the main... The number one, the captain, I guess, the <laughs> captain of the film festival. Can you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, I'm uh, Chuck Budrow. I've been uh, running the film festival here for about uh, five years now. Uh, we've really stepped it up this year. We got uh, 130 films, uh, lots of feature-length films, lots of uh, shorts, web series, some really amazing projects this year. Really excited. You got panels too, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got uh, panels. Uh, it's been kind of a mini film school. You can come here and learn from the people who have done it. Uh, we invite all of our filmmakers to participate in uh, the, uh, the film panels, uh, you know, topics like uh, budget and finance, pre-production, acting, script writing. Um, like I say, it's kind of, kind of a mini film school. You can sit through hours and hours of uh, great information. And it's a bitter contest, right? Because there's awards. Where are some of the awards? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say bitter. It's more of a friendly competition. Uh, but, yeah, we do. Uh, our main awards are for uh, the obvious things, which is best feature, best short, best uh, independent series. Uh, but we're also putting out awards for different genres, such as you know, best horror, best comedy, uh, documentary, fan film, fantasy film, gamer film. Uh, so, you know, it really mixes it up, uh, and it's going to be super fun Sunday when we start handing out those awards to everybody. What are a few of the films this year, films or web series or, or, or short films, uh, that kind of st- stood out to you uh, off the top of your head? Um, tomorrow night we've got uh, one called uh, Detective, 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 um, which is about a group that of... That is not a stutter. That is not a stutter, no, no. Uh, it's a very redundant title, <laughs> but it's a great film. Um, it's about uh, a couple or three brothers that are a little bit dysfunctional that uh, go out, they rent a cabin, and they are do- involved in this amazing LARP, uh, which is mainly just to get them back together like they used to be when they used to game together all the time. So uh, it's a great story, uh, amazing acting, and, um, and, and just fun all the way around. Uh, another one we've got coming up is... Uh, you, Your Brain, and You, which is a mockumentary that's just completely off the wall and uh, has a, it's about the Brain Institute. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to describe. You'll just have to look it up. <laughs> uh, another one that's really good is a very Tolkien-esque film called The Rangers. Um, that one uh, actually is from a former winner uh, of, of uh, our best teacher. Um, he was here uh, about four years ago with that, so I was happy to see him come back with uh, with the Rangers this year. Um, oh, what else is there that's really uh, out of Chicago? An amazing zombie apocalypse film called Chrysalis. Um, definitely check that one out. And I understand they just got a distribution deal, which is pretty near awesome so um like i said those films are really coming along i don't know what's chrysalis about or what makes chrysalis different than, than the other zombie films <laughs> yeah every filmmaker out there has made a zombie movie and if you're a filmmaker and you haven't really uh, <laughs> uh these guys really put the production value into it yeah th- this one it's not just that they 
got all the tech right on it, so it looks beautiful. The acting is remarkable. The script is spotless. I mean, they really, really pulled it together. Uh, I mean, the basic stories are normally the same. Something has caused everybody to turn into zombies, and there's a few survivors out there. You know, that's the typical zombie story. Yes, that's what this is, but how it's told is so much better than most of them. What about Gen Con do you think uh, makes it unique compared to some other film festivals out there? Well, we really focus on genre films. Um, like I say, you know, going through the, the awards, you know, best horror film, best sci-fi, fantasy, uh, gamer films. It really, I had somebody else come up to me earlier today and just asked me, what other film festivals focus on gamer films? I couldn't give them an answer. I couldn't think of another one. If there's another one out there, please contact me. Let me know. It'd be cool. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, it just is an outlet for filmmakers that are making a specific type of film that mainstream film festivals really shun. And uh, not only that, we've turned it into kind of a community. It's people are come here, they are, even the first-time filmmakers that are coming here are so welcomed by the other filmmakers that have come here year after year uh, that it's, it's really turned into a community. And I'm, it's interesting because we're seeing uh, collaborations between these filmmakers that geographically have no reason to be working with each other. I mean, people on opposite, opposite coasts are developing projects together and with today's technology you can do that uh, but if they hadn't met here in Indianapolis those projects probably never would have happened uh, any other closing thoughts um, the festival's growing we love it uh, the uh, convention itself is also growing by leaps and bounds it's now the largest uh, convention in Indianapolis uh, we expect to break the 60,000 attendees mark uh, this year They've been really supportive. The, the convention itself has been so supportive of the film festival. Um, and we're starting to get some bigger films starting to show up. Um, I just had one overnighted, me, uh, overnighted to me uh, earlier today uh, called uh, Harbinger Down. And it's basically by a bunch of guys that used to work for uh, makeup and effects artist uh, Stan Winston. And so these guys worked on uh, Predator and Aliens and this is very much along those lines and uh, check it out when you finally get a chance these blu-rays i got today i think are the first blu-rays that have been burnt for the thing so um it's a pretty impressive film that's going to be showing on on saturday night and we're hoping to have a really packed house for that one now where can people um learn more about the film festival about gen con also and maybe keep track of it throughout the year well, surprisingly enough, GenCon.com. Plus Facebook. Uh, there's uh, the typical Facebook page for uh, GenCon. Definitely check that out. And then we also started up a uh, GenCon Film Festival page this year. And that's been really fun leading up to the convention. Everybody actually kind of getting to know each other and uh, getting interested in the films before they show up, which is, you know, awesome. And uh, I just love, they're good. We're just kind of making the community aspect continue on beyond the convention itself. All right, great. Well, thank you. All right, thanks, Mark. Hey guys, this is Marks up at Indianapolis at Gen Con, and I'm here in the Author's Alley, and the name Arkham has beckoned me, so I have to see what this book Daughters of Arkham is about. So I'm with the author. My name is David Rodriguez, and I'm one of the writers of the new book series called Daughters of Arkham. It's a young adult series about a young privileged girl who becomes pregnant under mysterious circumstances right before she's supposed to be inducted into like the most powerful women's organization, Arkham. They run everything. And so she's kind of bringing shame on her family and she's being outcast and pushed aside and has to figure out like 
the uh, the daughters of Arkham are actually have ties to supernatural forces, which is how they get their power. So she's digging into that and getting into trouble and also dealing with being a pregnant teenager. And people who know about Arkham might know about the location from H.P. Lovecraft stories. Is this the same Arkham? Is it just loosely based off of it? It is set in Arkham, a version of Arkham, Massachusetts, from H.P. Lovecraft. There are H.P. Lovecraftian creatures and mythos tied into it, but also tied into American history. And uh, there are other books also. What, what other ones are you involved with in this booth here? Well, I'm the, uh, I'm the writer of the Skylander comic series and uh, the video game series. I write some of the video games, and I also write Finding Gossamer for Third World. And for Daughters of Arkham, where did the idea come from? Um, the idea just came from wanting to do something that was uh, you know, featuring uh, strong female characters and also doing something for a, you know, that young adult audience that was more accessible to them than maybe some of the other materials. And I just, you know, I like Lovecraft, I like American history, and I wanted to do something that kind of tied them together. So, you know, young adult's hot right now, but I haven't seen a whole lot of young adult Lovecraft. Uh, were you all concerned about the mix? Where, where do you draw a line at on, on the, the horror part, I guess? I didn't really think about, like, whether it would... I just wanted to do that at an age-appropriate level. Like, if you... Like, I didn't really kind of think about the young adult part or the Lovecraft part. I'm like, this would be cool, and, like, would this be interesting to like young adults and even older readers and so far so good i'm excited for it but um it just seemed like a cool story that i wanted to tell and where can people find your books and you online uh you can find them online uh, thirdworld.com you can also find them at amazon Darvis Varkham is there now for pre-order uh, we have an early release uh, a few months early just for gen con uh yeah we're all over the internet you can find us there third world Daughters of Arkham, skylanders all over the internet google crazy google <laughs> all right great thanks no problem. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Hello, I'm Mary Fan. I'm a sci-fi author. I wrote the Jane Cole trilogy. It's space opera with a dash of cyberpunk. A little bit Firefly, a little bit Blade Runner. It's about a young woman. Her uh, brother gets framed for murder, so she searches the galaxy for the real killer, ends up in the most lawless corners of the fringe, and stumbles into some conspiracies around uh, artificial intelligence. Where did the idea for this come from? Honestly, I just always love stories that take place in space. So when I was like, you know what, I kind of want to write a book, you know, just to see what happens. Definitely going to set it in space. And I've also always been interested in, you know, robotics and AI, mostly the philosophical issues around it, like what makes someone human, what, you know, constitutes consciousness. And I was reading a lot of philosophical essays about that at the time. So I kind of wanted to weave that in as well. Are these your first books or have you written anything else? Um, yes, these are my first books. Um, the first one, Artificial Absolute, was my debut. It came out in 2013. Since then, I've you know published the two sequels. And I've got a few others under contract. Um, they're YA titles, fantasy, with a Glasshouse Press. So what's your writing approach? Do you uh, plot? Uh, do you do in-depth outlining? Do you write by the seat of your pants as you go? Uh, or somewhere in between? I am a neurotic plotter. Like, I will usually, you know, start with just a brain dump document where I just write down all my awesome ideas. Then I'll go through it and realize that half of them probably aren't so awesome. And I'll, like, you know, hammer out some kind of sequence of events. And then I'll um, start with a simple outline, like just, you know, what happens to get them from point A to point B. Then I'll do a chapter outline, what happens in chapter one, what happens in chapter two. Usually at that point, I'm ready to write. Sometimes I'll see that, you know, cursor blinking at me from a blank document and just be like, I have no idea what I'm writing, and so then I'll like get into a detailed outline, being like, "Okay, they go from here to there. They say these things." So yeah, lots of levels of outlining. Where can people find you and your work online? 
My website is maryfan.com, and you can find links there, too. I'm on a lot of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and you can also contact me there. Oh, one more thing. Do you have any, uh, like, a tip you would share with anyone else who's wanting to start writing books? I would say just go for it. Don't be afraid of that blinking cursor, and if you are, just write anyway and drink beer while you're doing that. It'll help, you know, get the fear gone. <laughs> and can you introduce yourself and your books? Yeah. Uh, my name is Paige Daniels. I'm the author of the Noncompliance Trilogy. Um, noncompliance, the sector, noncompliance, uh, transition, noncompliance, equilibrium. And what are those books about? Um, noncompliance is a dystopic, uh, near future um, cyberpunk trilogy. It's uh, basically the government says, hey, you have to take this chip and plant it into your skin in order to be part of society. And if you're if you don't take the chip, that's okay. And they kind of put them into basically like a reservation. And it's uh, about the people who live in this non-compliance sector. And it's run by mobsters and kind of the bad guys. And it's almost like the wild, wild west, but with mobsters. What was the spark for this idea? Um, it's kind of a bunch of different sparks I had. Um, when I was in college a hundred years ago, uh, I read this uh, article. Last year. Uh, yeah, last, yeah, last year. <laughs> but um, I, when I was in college, I read this article about the guy who said the mark of the beast will come in form of a chip. I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I wonder how that would happen. You know, and I just kind of plotted ideas. So you had a crazy preacher guy on campus too? Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. I'm like, that's a great idea. Keep talking, dude. I'm going to write this down, <laughs> you know. And so... Uh, I just kind of toyed around with it, just being in engineering school and all. I didn't have a whole lot of time to really mess with writing. And then uh, after I got my master's degree, I actually had time to write. And I was kind of used to sitting at the computer at night. So I'm like, oh, I'll just mess around with it. And I started thinking about characters. And I kind of wished, you know, it would be kind of cool if the nerdy girl got the guy instead of, you know, the strong heroine who kicks butt and whatever. What if we had a heroine who was strong in different ways like MacGyver and she hacks and you know she can put together a bomb with bubble gum and a paper clip and kind of stuff so I thought that would be interesting character to have. Do you have any tips for anybody who might be listening who wants to be an author? Um, I guess just like Mary said just do it and you know keep plugging down ideas and drink beer because that helps me because you know you kind of your inhibitions are a little bit lower and you know like uh yeah this is a great idea just i say just do it and uh don't let the can'ts keep you from doing it where can people find you and your books online uh, my website is nerdypage p-a-i-g-e dot com um and then i'm also on twitter facebook and all those social media sites and um and you can contact me there yeah Thank you. Thanks. Chris A. Jackson. I've got a, a number of fantasy novels published. Um, I'm currently writing for three different gaming publishers, uh, Pathfinder, uh, which is Paizo, uh, Catalyst Games, which puts out the Shadowrun uh, anthologies. I have a, a new story in their, uh, in their uh, World of Shadows anthology. And I'm writing for Privateer Press, uh, writing nautical fantasy for them. Uh, aside from that, I have my own, uh, my own imprint of Jack's books, and we have um, three different series that are complete and um, a number of other novels that are coming out so shortly. Uh, the Weapon of Flesh series, which is a trilogy about a magically imbued assassin. A, uh, 
High Fantasy Swords and Sorcery uh, trilogy, the Cornerstones trilogy, uh, that is very epic in scope and uh, very, very uh, swords and sorcery. And we have another nautical series of uh, high fantasy called the Scimitar Seas novels, four books published by Dragon Moon Press, a small Canadian press, that has won, have won us uh, three consecutive gold medals for Best Fantasy Novel of the Year from um, Forward Reviews magazine, which has never been done, been done before. So we're kind of on an upswing and doing great, and we're going to be coming out with the new trilogy and the Weapon series next, uh, next month, starting with Weapon of Fear. And where can people find you and your work online? Uh, you can go to jaxbooks.com. That's J-A-X books. Uh, and everything's available on all formats, Kindle, Nook, Kobo, just about anything you can read a book on, we can uh, put it out there for you. So so you have a number of books, role-playing game field. Are you, uh, what did you start out with? Were you influenced by role-playing games, or did you start off a straight-up, like, fantasy author? Or Actually, uh, I learned storytelling by GMing um, um, Dungeons & Dragons originally, and the uh, two and a half years it took us to run through a campaign that I created for my friends and I turned into eventually the Cornerstones trilogy. Um, that was kind of our first effort and it was a little clunky to start with but it's gone through uh, a rewrite and uh, since then I've put out numerous novels and um, gotten a contract with uh, Paizo which is the biggest, I mean Pathfinder is the biggest role playing game out there right now. So, Do you have any other uh, upcoming works? Uh, as a matter of fact, yes. I have a short story coming out in the upcoming uh, anthology uh, Women in Practical Armor, um, which uh, is, is kickstarting um, in August. Um, so look that up for me. Um, just coming out with the Shadowrun short story in World of Shadows that's just been released here. That short story is called uh, Sweating Bullets. And um, I'm very excited to say that I'm part of the Ed, Gre- Ed Greenwood Group uh, Sensorium Project that's uh, debuting this fall. Uh, Ed, of course, is, is, has the debut novel, which is Your World is Doomed, and mine will be the second published out, uh, and it is set in Boston in the uh, um, contemporary fantasy world of Helmaw, and it will be titled Dragon Dreams, so look for that. Awesome. What's that uh, book about, can you say? Um, the uh, world of Helmaw is our contemporary Earth that... Uh, Demons have been living among us for ages. They are uh, feeding upon us um, subversively. They are infecting our, our, are infesting our governments, our businesses, our lives, and our souls. And um, it is about a young paleontologist who is a graduate student at Harvard who discovers an interesting um, paleontological sample that... Um, has certain properties that end up affecting her, and it is the demon that is interested in these properties. So, that's all I can really go into. <laughs> Sounds really good. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Hey guys, I'm here at Gen Con in Indianapolis, and I am at the booth of Brainlag. We are a publisher of fantasy and science fiction novels based out of Milton, Ontario, Canada. Our latest book is The Black Trillium by Simon McNeil. It's a post-apocalyptic martial fantasy in the vein of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, only set in the ruins of far future Toronto. We also have Extreme Dentistry by twice Aurora Award-nominated author Hugh Spencer. Who are the best people to stop vampires? Dentists. Mormon dentists. The squarest people on the planet. We also have Halcyon, which is about a computer virus that infects cybernetic implants. 
And for fantasy, we have Enduring Chaos, about a woman with a gift she can't control who is caught up in a battle for revenge as old as the gods themselves. Ruins of Change by J.R. Dwarnik is part of the same series and about a treasure hunter for a band of mercenaries who is hired to find an ancient sword that is much more than it appears. And we have Aureus, which is about a young man who finds his place in the world by going into a new one. And how long has your company been around? Uh, we started with Aureus in 2010. Do you go to Gen Con every year? Is this your first time? Uh, I've been going to Gen Con, I think this is my fourth time here. So been here a few times. And I saw that trailer. Is there, is there a place online to find that or find your company? Yes. If you go to uh, my website or if you search YouTube for Enduring Chaos Trailer, you'll be able to find it. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. My name is C.E. Rocco. Um, I write in a fantasy genre. And I've currently put together Missing Pieces with all the other authors at Gen Con, which is just a collection of short stories from the different authors it's a good way to sample out the authors before you take them, uh, take them for a test drive before you commit to one of their full-length novels. And this anthology is uh, set in various worlds, correct? Right. So each author writes in their own worlds with their own characters. So if you find something that you like in one book, um, you can pick up that author's regular works and already be familiar with the world and the characters in which they write about. Ah, interesting. Are they all authors at Gen Con or just in general, various authors from various places? 99% uh, of the authors are in Gen Con. We only had like one guest author that wasn't part of Gen Con. Uh, most of them are inside Authors Avenue. Uh, one or two are on the main floor, but um, for the most part, they're, they're Gen Con specific. And since you wrote uh, some of the short stories, what's your approach to writing a short story versus like a novel? You know, like what's some of the special challenges to, to writing short stories? Okay, so... Um, Short stories are kind of like their own little beast. So the first, when I first started in, in volume one, I gave everybody a word count of uh, 2,000 to 10,000 words. And 10,000 words is a pretty hefty short story. And I think my first short story was about 25,000 words, and I wanted to keep going. So I did not master that art of short story. Uh, when I did the second volume, my short story was about 3,000 words. So I, I learned how to clean it and tighten it up and make it shorter and still be concise and tell everybody what I wanted. So it's definitely an art and a challenge to make an effective short story within like two to 5,000 words to tell a story without going nuts and you know getting it all together. It's, it's, it's difficult. And can you tell us what, uh, what your short stories are about? My particular short stories are written inside a world which I'm currently doing the full-length novel for. Uh, the first one that I have is called Bringer of Bedlam. It's a, um, it actually takes place in two different time periods. Uh, one of it takes place with a race of immortals, and then the other part is more of a current time inside the fantasy realm. And it's all about this uh, uh, artifact that brings back chaos into the world. The second one is actually called the Shard of Khaladun, and it uh, takes place in the same world, um, but it takes place in the aftermath of the first, first story. And it, that's the one that I got down to like 3,000 words. And uh, that one cleaned up pretty well. Then I started in with uh, Nameless, which is a short story that I wrote about a race of uh, golems that kind of come to life and have sentience, almost kind of like a Terminator thing, but not, not like, you know, from the future kind of a thing. 
Um, and so it was uh, how they kind of like uh, cope inside of a world that kind of fears and hates them at the same time. So it's kind of like almost like the mutants of, of like the X-Men world where everybody kind of hates them and doesn't know how to deal with them. The other one that I did here was um, the Mirrored Palace. So the Mir- Mirrored Palace is... Um, that's kind of an interesting story. I really like that one. That one was uh, kind of a, a first glimpse at the villain of the series who's going to be coming out in the novels and kind of dealing with his own perfections and how his perfections are turning into flaws. He's so like perfect that he doesn't see that he's perfect, so he thinks he's flawed, and it kind of makes him even be more perfect, which is kind of a weird dynamic in a book. Um, inside the fifth one, I did one called... Um, it's called Tribute. So Tribute was my fan. I don't like halflings in the small races like that. I don't know why, like gnomes. It's like I can't picture like some little three-foot hero like just being super strong and, and valiant and stuff. Like hobbits just kind of irritate me for some reason. So I didn't want to have those in my world. So I came up with a, a way to kill them all off. And um, I did that in this. I think your nickname should be Hobbit Hater. Hobbit Hater. Or I'm like the George R. R. Martin Hobbit Hater of the universe, I guess. I don't know. So um, like I came up with a story called Tribute. And it's basically like my take on 12 Angry Men and how I got rid of all the small races. So um, that's kind of like my little niche on that. Yeah, other than that, the only other story that I got is I wrote an anthology, a story for another anthology for uh, Tracy Chowdhury, and I saw you interviewing her down there. And I, it's called I Do So Swear, and I wrote it for her world. So it's the only story that I wrote that wasn't from my own particular world. And it's a love story that kind of spans these cycles that keep repeating over and over and over. And I couldn't get it done for her anthology, but she graciously let me put it inside this one. So I'm really proud of it. I actually think it's one of my better pieces. Um, but yeah, it's not, that's the only one that I didn't write that's my world specific. And I see that there's multiple volumes. How many volumes of Dragon Roots are there? Um, there's six volumes in, in uh, total. And it, uh, sorry, Dragon Roots is just like the, the moniker in which it falls under. Missing pieces is the title of all the, all the pieces. And uh, where can people find you and your work online? Um, I am online. I have a website, uh, dragonroots.net, um, but it keeps getting hacked. And I don't know why it keeps getting hacked. So if it's up and you see it, it's got ways to order everything and it's brilliant. But if it gets hacked and it, you can't get onto it, um, either on Facebook for Rock With The Author or under um, on Facebook, uh, Gen Con Missing Pieces Authors Avenue. That's the other fan page. So if you go on either one of those and you want to order, um, you can do that. Or you can shoot me an email at c.e.rocco at comcast.net. All right, great. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Hi, I'm R.A. Salvatore, Bob Salvatore. been writing fantasy books for 25 years now and going strong, and you're listening to Genretainment. Well, I'm here in Minneapolis at Gin Con here in the Author's Alley, and I am with... Eric Mingi of Snow by Night. And Stephanie Stober, author and illustrator. Can you tell us a little bit about your work? Uh, we are selling Snow by Night, which is a web comic. We're doing Colonial Magical Girl. So instead of Swords and Sorcery, we are Muskets and Alchemy, all in Fantasy Canada. And you're one of, you're one of the illustrators, this correct? I'm one of Eric's collaborative artists, so I've done uh, some illustrations and a vignette for him. And I have my own comic called Final Arcanum, which is about a sky pirate that falls out of a sky. Well, let's... Uh, can you elaborate a little bit more about your book? 
uh, is set in a fantasy version of French Canada at the height of the fur trade. And the story is about the daughter of winter, who is a Native American nature spirit called Manitou. She's on a quest to find her heart amongst the mortals. Unfortunately, what she finds are a pair of thieves. <laughs> hey, when it happens. All right, can you tell me a little bit more about Final Arcanum? Uh, Final Arcanum follows the story of Akakitli. He's a sky pirate who stumbles off his ship and has to find his friends back home and runs into an evil god, tries to steal his treasure, hijinks, you know, the usual. So the cover of both of these books look like something that could be young adult or so. What's the age range for these books, or are they adult? Uh, we're PG. Yeah, I, Much like Avatar The Last Airbender. Okay. Yeah, I'd say PG-13. Pirates get into some messes sometimes (laughs) Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, you know the writing approach for you know these kind of graphic novels these these comic books how advanced do you plot out do you plot out the whole book before you even start drawing it all or you know how do you approach that Uh, well with me I have an outline and it uh, the closer where we are in the comic, the more detail it is. As you get further and further out, it gets less and less detailed until, like, like there's one sentence describing each of the chapters. So I have it's plotted out to the end, just hasn't all been fleshed out. And as I get closer, it just fills in. Also, I don't want to bind myself into corners, and uh, that way the story can stay flexible based upon how it feels as it grows. Ever had a situation where you're like, you describe something or maybe even a character and it comes back to you and you're like what just happened <laughs> and you have to tell them to change that uh we actually had one situation like that which is the wonder of being a web comic and not being in print just yet i could go back and retcon something uh and i well this works as you tell your audience what you have done and why and then they feel part of the process and they were very accepting of it oh, good. Good. That's great. and uh you know, what about you? Because you're illustrating it also, right? So so how do you approach that? Are you drawing and making up the story almost page by page, or are you really plying out in detail before you even start uh, well in advance? Um, I do similar to thing to what Eric does. I do an outline, um, and I sort of just write with the approach of I have an overall story idea, and then I think of what kind of scenes I like, and I just kind of add those in as I go and string them all together. But the writing process for me is a script initially, and then I start drawing it out from there. So I have a story before I really start drawing anything. How long does it take you to draw on page? Uh, now? Um, maybe 15 hours or so for a total page. Um, that's not what it was when I started. <laughs> what was it when you started? Oh, it was easily like 20 to 25 page, like hours when I was starting. That includes colors, right? That includes color, correct. <laughs> okay. And, and how fast are you able to produce your book? Uh, well, my current artist, uh, main artist, is Julie Wright, who is phenomenally fast. And so she can do a page of lines in under six hours. Uh, I have another colorist, Natty Baccalini, who helps me uh, do all the colors. And I'm not quite sure how fast she is because I've never seen her do it in person. We communicate over the Internet. Uh, but So probably it would take about two days total to get a page done from my script all the way to colors and for me to have lettered it as well. Did you say, are both of these webcomics also? Okay. So, so since both of these are webcomics, do you guys have any tips you would give someone who's thinking about starting a webcomic? Uh, have a lot of pages ready before you launch. One of the things we had was uh, if you just put up a webcomic with two or three pages, there's not a lot for people to read. So we would, I would highly recommend having like a full chapter or full issue ready to go before you even start and maybe to burst out of the gate with multiple pages at once. 
and also realize web comics are a marathon, not a sprint. When you do one page, that's great. Get ready to do another 500 because it's a long, slow storytelling process. What about, what about you? Do you have any tips? Uh, yeah, two things. Um, the first and foremost, especially for artists out there, is don't be afraid to start. Everyone's worried that I'm not good enough. It's not going to you know, meet up to my standards. And no matter what, you're going to improve and get better. You can do the beginning later if you really want to just get started. Don't be afraid. The other major thing is worry about your comic first and foremost. With webcomics especially, everyone starts thinking about forums and the different merchandise they want to do and going to conventions. Make a good comic and everything else will follow. And one last question, because uh, you're not an illustrator, are you? No, uh, okay. I don't know the keyboard that works. So for you, since you're just writing, you're not, you don't have, you're not illustrating, uh, do you have any trouble finding artists and where could people find artists if there's, they're also artistically challenged? Uh, I don't have a, the biggest problem you have is that really good artists tend to be very busy. And uh, when you're trying to get them to work on your project, you have several different ways you can do it. One is to share any uh, share the creative process with them, share any profits with them. But one of the best ways to get them involved is to pay them. That way they can fund their other projects. And uh, they much prefer to have, every artist I've met has usually preferred to be paid up front so that they, as opposed to getting a share of whatever happens later on. And if you offer a competitive rate, a quality script, and are very friendly and are willing to work with them, you actually can find some pretty good artists, and they talk to each other, and word will get around. Can you, uh, you know, talk about your book, but in general for webcomic artists, what's the kind of price range we look at for a decent artist for, for a book? Uh, well, industry standard seems to be for new, uh, new artists about $100 a page. If you're a veteran, it gets up to uh, $200 a page. If you're drawing for Marvel and DC, which is not webcomics, uh, that one can be higher, sometimes a lot higher. But that's few and far between. And one, one last question. So how do you monetize webcomics? Is the webcomic online itself not really the goal? For, is there no way to monetize that? Is it just straight up whenever you print off these books? Is that, is that the strategy? Because I'm not, I'm not familiar. There are a lot of ways. Uh, I, I look at it like a radio. You're going to give away your product for free to get people interested in your story. And that way you get build up a brand and a, customer, a fan base. And once you have that, you can then start monetizing enough to pay for all my wonderful artists. And one way is you can put ads on your site. You don't have to say one. You're just saying that because she's right there, aren't you? No, I'm teasing. <laughs> I, I, I say that because it's true. I, I like being able to pay for them. Yeah, uh, we appreciate it. <laughs> but you can, the, the uh, advertising helps a lot. Uh, and But you have a lot of people out there with ad blocks on. And we have our... It's set up to say, like, please turn off your ad block. We're ad supported. Put us in your exempt list. Uh, the next way you do it is you sell books. Is Once you get enough, you can then print it and publish it and sell it through uh, uh, various st online stores. Kickstarter is a fabulous way to cover the initial kick, uh, the printing costs. One thing that has been very popular lately is called Patreon, uh, which is a site where people can subscribe and give you money based on how many pages or books or however you want to term it. Uh, on a monthly basis. Those will require additional goodies to encourage people to subscribe to your Patreon page. And so between those, you could actually do, f if you were a successful webcomic and have a big enough fan base, this could cover your costs. But it might take a while to get there. Great, all great tips. Do you have anything else you'd like to add, either one of you? Or anything in general? Like how, when you draw, do you draw differently for a webcomic? What about this, when, as an illustrator, how do you find people to work for? 
Um, honestly, it's uh, being at conventions helps a lot. That's how I met Eric, actually. Um, he found me. We did a little bit of work once, and uh, sometime last year, I decided to do illustration full time. And I went to Eric and I said, "Hey, do you need anything drawn? I have a lot of time. Uh, what's going on?" <laughs> Eric said, "Yes, I have all the time. All your time. Give it to me. I have so many things that need to be illustrated. Otherwise, it's stick figure drama if I draw it." So, so if somebody wanted to go to web comics, another thing would be to make sure you go to conventions like this and network a little bit. Yes. It also helps you pick up tips, what to do, what not to do, which printers to go with, uh, and just talking to people that have been doing it for a while. You can learn a lot. The panels in particular can be very helpful because uh, webcomics are a pretty friendly group, and we've all been there. We've been starting up from scratch, and so we know what it's like. All right. And where can people find you and your work online? Uh, we are at uh, www.snowbynight.com. And I'm www.finalarcanum.com. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, my name is Gavin Smith. I am the artist of the comic book The Accelerators. Uh, it's a time travel comic put out by Blue Juice Comics. So it's time travel? What else is going on with this story? Uh, well, it starts off as like a cat and mouse chase through time, and our reluctant time travelers end up getting caught in this future where they have to fight for their lives inside of a gladiator arena, but against warriors from different time periods. And uh, the thing with our time travel is there's no going back. It's all forward time travel. And once our characters realize this, they figure out they're stuck in this world and they have to escape. So they use their uh, time machine to jump ahead, hoping to find a place in time... Uh, where technology is advanced enough that they can get home safely. And as they keep making these jumps, things just keep getting crazier and crazier, and they find themselves in uh, wackier situations. <laughs> How many uh, issues are out? Uh, nine are currently out, but we're doing it in miniseries format. So the first arc uh, that are, was just called The Accelerators. Uh, right now we're putting out Volume 2, which is The Accelerators' Momentum. Uh, and we're three issues into that right now. Issue three just came out this past Wednesday, which was the 29th of July, 2015, <laughs> for chronicling purposes. Uh, and then uh, they'll be time traveling back, listening to yeah, this, really, right? Yeah. See, I was or traveling forward, and then just catching up on all their yeah. old podcasts. <laughs> so, uh, and the, the last issue of uh, this run comes out in September, and there'll be a four-issue run. And we just found out we were renewed for Volume 3 and possibly up to Volume 5 altogether. So wow. there's a lot more to come. That's great. Well, how'd you get involved in this? <laughs> That's a long story. It's, it's kind of funny. Um, I mean, I've been drawing comics for a while. I went to the Joe Kubert School, graduated from there. And uh, during one of my summers off, uh, I took a job in TV production. So I was working on Project Runway for a season. And... Uh, one of the cameramen who works on Project Runway also worked on a TV show called uh, Comic Book Men. That's Kevin Smith's show. And, uh, and he and a couple other guys on the show were inspired by those guys and they wanted to start their own comic book company. So that's where Blue Juice Comics came from. Fast forward a couple uh, months later, I'm back at school. Or no, I, I'm back in Indiana. Graduated from school. Project Runway's still going on and the cameraman comes back and he tells he's talking about like oh yeah we're starting a comic book company and my friend Daryl was like you know Gavin that worked on this show with us right he drove you around for a while <laughs> you know so they ended up uh, getting in touch with me and um, 
thanks to my buddy Daryl, they hired me for this gig, and it was supposed to only be a, a one-issue gig, and that's obviously uh, transformed into 10 issues completed for them. That's great. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other projects out or in the works? Uh, I've got a couple other things out. Um, like, I've done some work for AT&T. I did, uh, I did some backup work on an issue of X-Files. Uh, I just picked up a couple new gigs. Um, uh, I'm doing this Western comic called Trigger right now. And then uh, I'll be doing 8 Pages and uh, 68 by Mark Kidwell through Image Comics coming up shortly. And uh, I'm always picking up new stuff here and there. And I'm always at shows in the Midwest. So you live here in Indiana? Yeah, yeah. This is one of the few shows uh, uh, that I could, I could walk to the show if I wanted to. I live right down the street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Uh, but, but I do a lot of Chicago, uh, Detroit, Ohio, Michigan. Wait, I said Detroit and other Michigan shows. Uh, Kentucky. I'll go out to New York, Philly, Pittsburgh, St. Louis. Whoever will take me, really. <laughs> Uh, so if someone's listening and they're wanting to become a comic book artist, do you have any tip for them on how to get involved in this in this field? Um, better make sure you like drawing. <laughs> it's a lot of work. How, how long does it take to draw one of these? I've had to stop keeping track because it was driving me crazy. Uh, if I had to put a time limit on it, it would. I I I would literally just get mad at myself because I, I spend a lot of time on my pages except when I'm under extreme deadlines. There's sometimes I can crank out pages so fast, like, that's ridiculous. Like, uh, one deadline I was pumping out, like, three pages a night. Other times I'm pumping out a page every, like, four or five days because I'm lazy <laughs> sometimes. And um, when, when I work on those pages and I'm spending, like, four or five days on them, I'm like, well, this has become significantly less than, you know, minimum wage when I was 12, you know? <laughs> so, and you better really like it because it's a lot of hard work and... Uh, uh, a lot of rejection in this industry as well. So, well, and accelerators. What was the most difficult thing to draw so far? Difficult thing to draw. Uh, Twenty-eight pages in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's it's all. It's, I, don't, I don't know if it has dinosaurs making appearance or anything like that. We, we, we got dinosaurs making appearances, but like we start off in uh, the nineteen sixties, and we. And, like, right now, I think we're in the year, like, what was it, 11,000 A.D., where the last page I drew is. So, like, you know, there, there's a lot of challenges to that, but there's also a lot of freedom to it as well. Because, like, once we get into the future, like, I get to make up any sort of ridiculous technology I want. And a lot of the technology I I do, like, I, uh, I draw inspiration from, like, uh, Kirby comics like whenever he'd do stuff with like new gods he had all this like ridiculous technology on the walls and like you know oh there's a lever on that wall don't know what that lever does but it's there and like you know <laughs> stuff like that all weird piping and just uh, stuff like that looks like looks like the Star Wars you know background and uh, then sometimes I get to tone it back a little bit and then, then sometimes there's a lot of research that goes into it like when we have on our first arc where we had our characters fighting warriors from different time periods like I said earlier uh, like you know I had to go back and look up like what a Viking helmet looked like and how an accurate Viking helmet looked like because uh, there's uh, there are people out there who will call you out on those inaccuracies um, like my grandfather <laughs> like, uh, uh, like uh, on the cut one of the covers that Walt Flanagan drew for us he drew a bayonet 
knife that was incorrect. My grandfather, who's a World War II veteran, was like, that's wrong. Like, and let me tell you why it's wrong. And just went in, kind of almost went off on me like I drew it. And I was like, Grandpa, no. <laughs> um, so where can people find you and your work online? You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Gavin P. Smith. Or you can find me on Blogspot, gavinpatricksmith.blogspot.com. Uh, you can find the accelerators at bluejuicecomics.com. Or your local funny bookstore. We're in previews and diamond and all that good stuff. So tell your local retailer to order. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my name is Brandon Pete. I'm here with the artist Aaron Manier. We work on a comic book called Black Rose. It's a fantasy steampunk mashup, a fantasy world entering an industrial revolution. So uh, Lord of the Rings meets a little bit of Battlestar Galactica flavor, if you will. And what sparked this concept? Uh, that's a great question. It's something we've been kicking around for kind of a long time. We knew we wanted to work on a comic together. We liked doing something in the fantasy genre. Uh, we wanted to do something a little different than a lot of the stuff we'd seen. Uh, you know, a lot of fantasy is very high fantasy. It's very traditional, very Tolkien-esque. Uh, we wanted to do something that deliberately strayed away from that. Uh, no elves, no dwarves, no magic swords, uh, things like that. Let's put uh, guns into the equation uh, and see what shakes out. Are there any fantasy species or is it all human? Uh, all human. There's definitely some uh, exotic flora and fauna. There's some large kind of saber-toothed cats uh, that you'll find roaming around. Uh, one of the themes in, in the book, uh, our, our tagline is fantasy is dead. Uh, and that's a theme we kind of explore because the, the fantasy part of the world is in real danger of dying off from the more aggressive technological forces that are uh, beginning to take over the world. And I guess in that way, only being humans is sort of reminiscent to Battlestar Galactica because unlike sci-fi, there's no other alien species, just humans primarily. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. I think it's it's easier to create a, a thematic focus when you're not uh, making your world so complex uh, and you can really kind of focus in on exactly what you want your story to be about. And uh, how many books are there so far in this series? Uh, we're currently, there's, uh, <laughs> great question. We're halfway through uh, issue 10. Uh, and those are periodically collected into books. So book one uh, that's out right now collects issues one through six. Uh, once we get through issue 12, then uh, book two will be coming out probably sometime late next year. And, and could you talk a little bit about your art style, the approach for the art style in this book? Oh, I just try to keep a pretty gritty approach, uh, keep my uh, drawing traditional and my inking very uh, organic. I think it fits the story and the tone. And these are all in black and white, right? Correct. And uh, where can people find you guys and your work? Uh, just go to blackrosecomic.com. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Hi, I'm Edward J. Russell, and I have six original works here and two anthologies. Dead Infested 1 and 2, Zombie Books, Flaws and Claws, which is a comedy, Dungeon Crawlers 1 and 2, which are choose-your-own-adventure books, and Cultra. The Return, which is an epic fantasy novel. And how long have you been writing? Uh, five years now. And uh, so what's Dead Infested about? Dead Infested is a zombie action thriller. Does everybody die in the first book? <laughs> no, not quite. you got to have a few people left over to write the second book. So I'm just kidding. So so Caltro, The Return, looks like an interesting cover. You know, what's uh, Can you describe the cover to them and what it's about? 
Okay, uh, well, it sort of looks like the Lion King, only instead of a baby lion, he's kind of like throwing lightning up in the air. The, the concept is, is there's uh, six young adults, college-age students, who through a prank sneak onto a military base and instead of getting the selfie uh, opportunity of a lifetime, get transported to an alternative realm where magic exists. Right off the bat, they're being chased by the uh, evil powers that be in that realm because they have the potential to wield magic, and the powers that be want that ability. So they have to try and find their way back and out of the clutches of the evil empress. Sounds really good. It's awesome. (laughs) And what's Dungeon Crawlers about? Dungeon Crawlers is a choose-your-own-adventure. You read a couple pages and it says, do you want to go right or do you want to go left? And then based on which one you pick, you turn to another page. Sometimes you succeed, sometimes you die. I love those kind of books. They're a lot of fun. All right, and where can people find you and your books online? Uh, You can find all my stuff on Amazon or edwardjrussell.com. Great, well, thank you. Thank you. My name is Isaac Crow, and I'm the author of Outcasts of Elrune. What's your book about? It is about a couple young kids who grow up together in a small town. One of them wants to join the protectors of the world when he gets older. When he goes out to do so, he finds out that there are a lot of um, issues between his species, the humans, and the cat girls, who his friend is of. And so he has to start figuring out what caused this, what happened back in the history, and figure out who's lying and who's telling the truth, and if his best friend is really dangerous to him. And it has kind of a manga anime cover, so is it that subgenre there with the cat? Oh, yes. it's. Uh, I watch a lot of anime, so it has a lot of that influence behind it. So the dwarves and elves, I have cat girls and, you know, the vampirish girls and things like that. Great. And what uh, age group is before? Uh, I call it young adult, so really anywhere from 11 to 12 up. I love to young, read the same material, so. I see some artwork here. Is this artwork that you did? This is not artwork I did. This is actually from a college student out of the Philippines that I found on the internet who did it for me. Okay. And did the cover also, I suppose? He did the cover as well, yes. Awesome. And where can people find you and your work online? Uh, they can find me at uh, Isaac Crow, I-S-A-A-C-C-R-O-W-E dot Weebly, W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, guys. I'm here in uh, Gen Con in Indianapolis, and I'm here in the author's alley with... Uh, J.S. Sky. Uh, my books follow the adventures of this bear named Flurry. Um, he really he just goes on all these epic adventures. My first book is his origin story. The second book is his first adventure. And the third one reveals the main villain, which is this red panda named Jack Frost. And he can turn people into ice. And um, Jack Frost um, accidentally gets set free um, from this prison that he's been in for thousands of years. And from book Five on are all this havoc that he's bringing upon all the nations and trying to raise an army to overthrow the other kingdoms. How many books are there? There are currently five. Um, it's going to be 12 in total. I'm writing book six right now. It's always hard for me to tell because, you know, these covers are kind of kind of cartoonish. They're all animals, you know, walking around animals. Uh, is it what age group would it be for? Um, well, when I first started writing these books, I initially was gearing them towards the 9 to 14 age range, but I have since dropped that because so many adults have liked my books that I just want it to be this epic fantasy adventure that anyone can enjoy. But definitely the reading level is written for um, that, that 9 to 14 range. And where did the concept come from? 
Um, the concept actually is based on um, a bear that my wife has. Um, she's from Malaysia. When we were living in Malaysia, she had this teddy bear named Flurry, and we started making little comic strips about him that we put on DeviantArt. And then people were interested to know, hey, where did this bear come from? What's his backstory? So I, I started writing these stories about Flurry, and then it just grew from there. And where are you uh, based out of? Um, we are essentially in the Fishers area, so around Indy. Where can people find you and your books online? Um, my books are on Amazon, but my official website is flurrythebear.com. That's flurry with an L, so you think of a snow flurry. So those are, those are probably the easiest places to find it. Well, thank you. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. Hi, I'm George Strayton, screenwriter of Hercules and Xena Warrior Princess, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed part one. Keep in mind, part two will be coming up in just a couple days. Please check it out. Thanks. Well, thanks to all the authors and filmmakers who let Marks interview them. We have links to all of their projects on the show notes, so you can check out their projects. Now, before we go, we want to remind you that you can keep track of us by subscribing to us on iTunes or Stitchers, or following our Genretainment Facebook page, Marks' Twitter account, which is at Mr. Marks, our web series at genretainment.com, or follow all of the shows at scifipostradio.com. So that's it for today's Genretainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. Genretainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until, Until next, next time. time. Bad monkey.